Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Ephesians. Hey, good morning. It is a great day to be alive. Do me a favor. If you've got your ESV journals that we're using, let's open to Ephesians chapter 2. If you've got your Bible, your uh, iPad, whatever you're using, I would invite you to flip there. Uh, please take advantage of the version. Uh, app. Uh, the text is there. All of our uh, notes for today where you can make interaction is there as well. If you're watching online, we're so glad uh, that you've joined us here at the cross this beautiful morning. So if I had to title today's talk, I would title it Walking Dead. And honestly, I've never watched the show. I'm not a fan of zombies and the apocalypse. But I do have some friends in this church that love the show Walking Dead. Rob and Marianne are diehard Walking Dead fans. I mean, it was kind of like the Grateful Dead followers. That's the way they are. They go down to Sonoya a lot, and uh, they became fa uh, fans of it. But, uh, but this text today really speaks uh, specifically about uh, our condition apart from Christ. Okay? So... It's going to be good to dive into that. It's going to be a teaching time. I would encourage you to take notes. Just a quick review. As we've unpackaged over the last three weeks, uh, kind of an overview of the book of Ephesians, as well as uh, kind of looking at who Paul uh, was and is uh, in regards to his transformed state, looking at the area of Ephesus. Then we talked about how he spoke a word of blessing over the people in Ephesus, uh, encouraging them. Uh, to remember how God had redeemed them, how God had adopted them, how the shed blood of Christ had, had uh, paid ultimately for our sin. He talked about our identity as founded in Christ and in Christ alone in those first uh, uh, verses, if you will, first few verses of Ephesians 1. The whole emphasis is on who we are in Christ. Then Paul began to pray over uh, the believers in Ephesus. And he, uh, his prayer was that they would know God, that they would know the hope that is only found in the uh, core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He prayed that they would walk in power, meaning resurrection power, the ascension power. It's a very, very uh, strong word in Ephesians 1. So if you've missed any of those messages, I invite you to go online, thecrossloganville.org, and make sure you access those. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, we all once lived in. The passions of our flesh, we were carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And you were by very nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, let me, let me say this, and we're going to dive deeper into this thought process when we get to uh, chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. But I would say this to you. I believe it is very, very important for all of us to take time and to step back as we walk this walk with Christ 
and to step back and remember who we were apart from Christ. Remember what we were doing. Remember how lost we were. Remember the misery in our soul. Because as Paul teases up right here, what he is emphasizing is, you remember who you used to be before you met Christ. And he's going to build on that argument here. There's going to be three things I hit in these first three verses. The first thing emphasized is, you were spiritually dead. That, that's the point he's making here. Do you not realize that before uh, the Father was kind enough to offer redemption for you and you walked into that redemption, you were dead spiritually. That's what he says in verse 1. And the word dead, I would write this out, the word dead means to be powerless. It means to be weak, corrupt, lifeless, incapable. You couldn't make life work on your own. It didn't matter how, it didn't matter how much uh, training you had, how smart you were, uh, what kind of books you read. Apart from Christ, you are spiritually dead. And the emphasis that he is making here is each and every one of us, each and every one of us were born into the world separated from God. And a a, a dead person is helpless. Even Paul would write in Romans uh, 5, 6, uh, Christ died for the helpless. And, and we couldn't do anything on our own strength to get right with God. There's nothing a dead person can do to make himself alive. He needs a live person breathing life into him. Okay, so I, I think it's very important. And oftentimes I do. I pause and I go back previous of my October of 1985 conversion, and sometimes I don't remember in replay the sin that I was involved in, but I remember the feelings of just that lost condition that I was walking in. And I was like, man, I was so dead. I was numb. I was clueless. I was lifeless, and life was not making sense whatsoever. So Paul here, he emphasizes two Key words. They're different terms, but they have a very similar idea. And I think this is important to know because he says you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. The word uh, transgression, if you will. You, 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 were, you were stuck, dead, clueless, incapable of changing your condition because you were involved in transgression. And the word transgression, uh, transgression means we willfully choose to break God's law. We choose to go against God's word. We choose to go against God's command. So it implies that we were going places we knew we shouldn't go. We were doing things we knew we shouldn't do. You were transgressing. You were willfully violating what God's standard was, and deep down inside you knew it. But because you were dead, you couldn't do anything about it. And I stayed stuck there for a long time. I mean, my playgrounds, my playmates, my play toys, I hung out with infected people. I went to diseased environments, corrupt environments. And that's the emphasis he's making here. Hey, God is doing a work in y'all. I bless you. I'm praying for you. But remember who you were. And the problem is, the problem is so many people that claim that they've come to faith in Christ are still living like they're dead. And it shouldn't be that way. 
because God has made us alive. And then he uses the word sin, which is an old archery term, which means to miss the mark. And so the archer would pull back the arrow. He would let it fly. The target would be in front of him. And, and so the rings outside of bullseye were called sin one, sin two, sin three. And if you miss the mark, it was like, that's sin. What is the mark? The mark is the holiness of God. None of us were born into the world holy. We were born dead in sin. The very nature that we had when we were born into the world, we had the Adamic Adam's nature. We were sinful. We were born sinners. And so when it came to living up to the standard of God's holiness, we all sinned. That's the reason it says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, the late Ravi Zacharias is one of my favorite writers and communicators and was probably the strongest Christian apologist in this modern era in which we live. But he would often quote a guy by the name of Malcolm Muggeridge. And I don't know if you've ever read much on uh, Malcolm, but Malcolm came to faith later in life. He came to faith in Christ later in life. But he shared this story about when he was working in India as a younger man. He said one evening he went down to the river for a swim. And as he entered the water, he noticed across the river an Indian woman who had come for her evening bath. Malcolm said he felt enticed and temptation gripped him and almost overtook him. He said at, at this time of his life, he, he had tried to avoid temptation and not succumb to temptation to honor his wife. But this night, he was so weak. He hesitated for a moment. But then he jumped in and began to swim swiftly across the river toward the woman. When he was just a few feet away, he said he emerged from the water and he saw what took his breath away. She wasn't a beautiful lady. She was old and hideous, wrinkled skin, and worst of all, she was a leper. He said she grinned at me, showing a toothless mask. And there in the water, he said to himself, what a dirty, despicable woman. But as he began to swim away, reality hit. It wasn't the woman who was dirty and despicable. It was his very own heart. And I believe a lot of times we point fingers at others and we love to rank where we're at compared to people that are worse than we are. But as Malcolm would say, in the water, as he began to swim, God began to show him how wicked and dirty and evil his own heart is. And that's the emphasis that Paul is making here. Do you not realize that you were dead? You were stuck in your trespasses and sin. And deep down inside, as Jeremiah the prophet would say, the heart is deceitful and wicked and sick. Who can understand it? And I believe one of the things that we need to realize is how sick our hearts were in that unredeemed state. We needed help. We were dead in our sin. And I would encourage you, think through that. It's good to go back. Tim, you remember what you used to be like? And it's not that I'm empowering the enemy's voice so that he's able to resurrect all my past sin and keep me there. But 
it's good to go back and remember what I've been saved from and what I've been saved to. What I've been delivered to is so crucial. And then Paul would make the second observation here where he says, do you not realize that we were controlled by three evil forces? All of us were born into the world under the control and reign and rule of three evil forces. Now, he uses the word once here in the first three verses. Uh, he uses the word once twice, if you will. And he says, we once walked and we once lived. We once walked and we once lived. The word walk means we were walking through life in such a way that that was our lifestyle. Why did you walk in such an evil way? Why was that your lifestyle? It was my lifestyle because it was my identity. What was my identity? Alienated and separated from God. That was all of us. We all lived according to the flesh, to the devil, and the world is the points that he makes here. So, so, so think about that. He goes, you walk this way and you live, which means your behavior, your continual behavior was so corrupt. And I can tell you this, there is not one that is good, no, not one, in their flesh. None of us were born into the world good. Let me unpackage it. I think it's so important. He talks about these three forces. The first evil force, he said, was the world. We were following the course of the world. What is the course of the world? It's all these pagan postmodern, secular, humanistic philosophies that we are being uh, bombarded with even today. The world system is influenced by Satan himself. And Satan wants to take you out. He wants to eat your lunch. But when we buy into this postmodern culture that there is no God or you can't know that God or, hey, it, everybody is left up to do whatever they want to do, it, it's so corrupt. The world system we live by. Where do we find identity? Where do we find worth? Where do we find security? And the world system, when you stop and look back at the way you lived apart from Christ before redemption, here's what I conclude. The world system hates God, is opposed to God. It is anti-God. It tells you get your needs met apart from God. And then he mentions here that the second uh, evil force is the devil. We were following the prince of the power of air. I mean, we're talking about Satan has a stronghold on the lost. Listen, when we walk away from God and we choose not to honor God, please listen to me. Even as believers, we give the devil, the enemy, an opportunity to get a foothold and a stronghold on our lives. And it's so easy to slip into bondage because the prince of this world, the devil himself and all his demons, he's coming at every one of us to steal us, to kill us, to attack us in any way he can. And we've got to pray to be clothed in the righteousness of God every day. And we've got to pray for our family and friends because I can promise you this is a bad, evil, disastrous world in which we live. And I see, I see people that are lost, they don't even realize they're lost. And I see people that claim that they've been found starting to drift and they don't realize how much Satan is trying to take them out. And I can tell you, so many lost people, 
Their eyes are blind, and they're living in deceit, and they do not realize what a stronghold Satan has on their lives. And Paul goes, do you remember that? You remember where you used to live apart from Christ? And then he talks about the flesh. The flesh. And we would say, well, maybe the flesh is neutral, Rick. But the flesh, all of us apart from Christ, developed certain flesh patterns based on our very nature at that time. It was a sin nature. And we were carrying out what the mind and body wanted to do, not that which would glorify God. And when you start to live a life, Lon, you know this as well as I do, when you're living a life that is all about feeding the flesh, it is all going to be about promoting an image or protecting an image or presenting an ego or pride that you have inside of you, and God goes, stop. You're living by the flesh. And I will tell you this until I die. If you do not discover who you are in Christ, you will go back and uncover who you, are, who you were apart from Christ. The flesh will always gravitate toward the familiar. That's the reason we have to crucify the flesh every day. You've got to crucify the, those, those desires of the flesh that you used to live by. And so whether it be power, whether it be guilt, whether it be manipulation, whatever it is, we all... When we come to faith in Christ, we all have flesh patterns. And we've all got things that we've done over the years that have to be continually nailed to the cross. Don't miss it. Here's some of the things that Paul said about the flesh. Like in Romans 8, he says, those who are in the flesh, meaning they're trusting their natural abilities, they're still following the course of the world, they're allowing, even though they don't know it, the influence of Satan. He goes, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Because your mind is set on the flesh. He would say in Galatians 5, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, envy, drunkenness. He lists a ton of stuff. He goes, do you not realize those are all flesh patterns? Those are all flesh behaviors? He says in Romans 7, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. The good I want to do, but I don't do. And the bad I don't want to do, I end up doing. And he ends up crying out, oh, wretched man that I am, who will set me free and deliver me from this body of flesh? And so 1 John chapter 2 talks about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And we know that even even for the redeemed of the Lord, if we're not careful, we start to entertain lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life, and Satan wants to take us down. Even as believers, we struggle with this. But the good news is greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And even though we might battle it, we have the Holy Spirit that is greater than living inside of us, again emphasized in Ephesians 1. God's given you his spirit. God's given you his very power and presence to walk this out. And, and Ephesians is such, it's, it's one of my favorite books. And then he goes on to say, you were dead. You were dead spiritually. Uh, you, you were being controlled by these evil forces. And then the third thing he says was, uh, it says here is, we were destined for God's wrath. We were destined for it. And that's what he says. We were children of wrath by birth, 
and we were sons of disobedience by our actions. He goes, you were destined for God's wrath, and the wrath of God, I would write this down, the wrath of God is God's divine response to human sin and disobedience. If you go back and study the Old Testament, you will read about God pouring out his wrath at times. But the wrath of God is just because sin cannot stand in the presence of God. And that's the reason when Jesus died on the cross, the wrath of God was dumped on Christ. By very nature, we were objects of wrath. But God, being so rich in mercy, and God being so kind in his love, that's what we're going to get. That's what we're going to get. But I, re, I remember, like, as a young believer, I memorized Romans 5, 12, and it says, Wherefore, by one man sin entered into the world, talking about Adam. And so sin spread to all men through death. All have sinned. And I'm like, man, I was, a, I was an object of the wrath of God if Christ had not have intervened. And the emphasis, emphasis, emphasis is do not do not minimize or weaken what Christ has done. Everyone, everyone, they're born into the world, objects of wrath. And because of disobedience and flesh pattern, we have to have, Spencer, an amazing work of the Holy Spirit to renovate our hearts and our lives. But God, this, this is probably two of the strongest words in the Bible, but God. But God, starting in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God being so rich in mercy because of the great love with how he loved us, even when we were dead, he made us alive together with Christ. We couldn't do it. God made us alive. And you're going to hear this phrase multiple times in Ephesians 2. By grace you have been saved. And we're going to spend next week and the week after building a lot more on grace. So I'm not going to dive into the grace piece as much here today. But everything we teach is grace. And everything that we understand is based on grace. By grace you've been saved. He raised us up with him, Christ, and seated us with him, Christ, in the heavenlies. In the heavenly places, he goes on to say, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us who believe. Again, verses 1 through 3, Paul is pointing out, hey guys, all people are born sinners. The problem is we live in a culture where people don't believe that. Oh, that's a good dude. There's none good. But we live in a culture where people don't believe it. And Paul goes, no, well, whether you believe it or not, it's true. We're born jacked up. We're born lost. We're born separated. But God, you couldn't do anything. But God, you were objects of wrath. But God took the first step. God took the initiative. God stepped in. God did what you couldn't do. God did what nobody else could do. He goes, but God, look at, look at, look at what God has done. In verse 4, he gives the reason. Why did you do what you 
did, God, because I'm rich in mercy. It's like, man, you deserve punishment, but God is rich in mercy. And mercy, in just the simplest definition, is not getting what you deserve. Man, I deserve hell. I deserve wrath. I deserve separation. I deserve judgment. God is rich in mercy. It means God withholds what we deserve. Another definition of mercy would be uh, the kindness and compassion of God extended to those who are living in misery. I need mercy every day. I need God to be merciful and to withhold. I was thinking about this. It was back in the early 2000s. Uh, my friend Terry Pendleton and I, a church had contacted me and asked if we would do a wild game dinner down in Brunswick, Georgia. And uh, I asked Terry if he was in. He said, I'm in. So we were going to do a wild game dinner on a Saturday night, speaking. Terry shares a testimony Sunday morning. I preach. And then we're going to head back to North Atlanta where we live. And I'll never forget, we shot down there. And uh, I had made, it, made, made, made this deal with a pastor that as soon as I finished preaching that day, he would handle the invitation and everything because Terry needed to get back for an event later that evening on Sunday. So as soon as I finished preaching, I said, let's pray. And as soon as I said, let's pray, the pastor walked out and he took it from there. We, we get into Terry's car and we're going to head back. Well, Terry had this Mercedes at the time that had this Porsche engine and this car was a different kind of car on the highway. So we take off coming 95 north from Brunswick up to Savannah. We're about to get on Highway 16. And I'll never forget, TP looks up in the rear view and he goes, oh my, boss, he's got me. I'm like, what do you mean he's got me? He goes, this state patrolman, man, he's got me. So Terry starts to slow down. I said, what do you think he's got you at? He goes, last time I looked, boss, it was 93. And I was like, man, boss, if he's got you, he got me. And I'll never forget, we pulled over on the side of the road, and we were just sitting there. And I was like, oh, Lord, this is going to be interesting. And all of a sudden, this big old dude, state patrolman, throws on that old smoky hat or whatever, you know, and he comes walking up through there. Well, he'd already called in the license plate. And so when he gets close to, to the driver's window, he goes, Terry Pendleton. Terry goes, what's up, boss? He goes, man, you're the fastest thing I've done seen all day. I was like, <laughs> he goes, man, listen to me, T. I'm getting ready to go on vacation for two weeks here in about an hour and a half. Man, I ain't got time to deal with you. He goes, my little girl loves the Braves. He said, would you sign, would you sign something for her? TP said, boss, man, I'll sign anything you want me to sign for her. <laughs> man, I was looking for, for baseball cards, pictures, anything we had. And so here's what the dude said. He goes, where y'all going? He said, I'm about to jump on 16, man, we're heading back to Atlanta. He said, I'll call ahead and tell them boys to leave y'all alone. I'm like, what just happened? What, what, what just happened? And honestly, I was thinking through that in regards to mercy. You're talking about withholding what we deserved? Now, grace kicks in big time, but we deserved to be impounded. We deserve a crazy ticket. We deserved whatever. 
But if we can ever stop and think about God's mercy, what did we deserve? What do we deserve? Apart from the kindness of the gospel, apart from Jesus intervening, we deserve hell, we deserve damnation. I mean, we live in a country where there's food, we live in a country where we, we can have electricity. I mean, we, we got so much overkill in this culture here. But deep down inside, it's like, God, I deserve your wrath. But because you are rich in mercy, and then he says this, God is rich in mercy because of his great love. And the word there is agape. It is an unconditional, sacrificial, perfect kind of love. It's like mercy is birthed out of love. Why do you extend mercy? Because I love so much. I'm not going to hold your past against you. And when we become children of God, the agape of Christ is poured inside of us. And we don't want to hold people hostage because God doesn't hold us hostage. We want to pray. Now, trust is a different piece in this. It takes a while for trust equity to be established. But God, he doesn't call us to penalize everybody that we meet. He goes, hey, you've received mercy. Extend it. He who has been forgiven much will love much. And so you would probably need to ask the question, why does God love us so much? Because he made us in his image. We bear and carry the image of God. It's like, man, I carry the image of God. And even when I was helpless, Christ died for me. Sacrificial agape on the cross. What did you do to deserve it? Nothing. What could you do to work for it? Nothing. What did you deserve? Wrath. And, and, and the longer I walk, I'm like, I cannot stop God from extending mercy to me and loving me. I can refuse to receive it, but I can't stop him from doing it. And that blows my mind, even when I was reckless and rebelling and stuck in sin. He loved me and continued to extend mercy and grace to me. And I was just thinking through that, like the filth of our sin magnifies the greatness of his grace. When I, when I think about the grace and mercy and love of Christ, the filth of my sin just magnifies what a graceful God what a compassionate God. What a kind God. And, and, and I'll never forget when I first got saved, I heard people say, hey, brother, God helps those who help themselves. Really? And, I, and, and even people think that there's a verse in the Bible that would support that. And I was like, okay, God helps those who help themselves. That's a lie from hell. God helps those who are helpless that can't help themselves. And this is like, I couldn't do anything. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't rescue myself. I couldn't bail myself out, God. But you did because of mercy and love. God loves you today. I know the last few days, last few weeks, last few months maybe has been so tough for you. And I know you probably come in here a little bit exhausted and fatigued, just beat up with everything that's been going on. 
But if you can just sit back and go, God is fond of me. God loves me. God is for me. God helps those who cannot help themselves. God is there for the helpless. He's there for the sick. He's there for the broken. He's there for the wounded. God's for us today. And it does. It just causes us to lean into, man, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that would save a wretch like me. I was so, so lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And I want you to wallow in that today. I want you to, to marinate in that today. God, you saved me because of grace, not because of anything that I could do. You rescued me from danger, from wrath. You rescued me from miry clay. You've put my feet on the rock. Look at these four principles that are just laid out here. We were dead, but God made us alive. There, there's a contrast here, four through seven. It's so powerful. Do you realize you were dead? God made you alive, but God, but God, but God. But God, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love toward us. Even while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Man. We don't have to walk dead any longer. We can walk alive. We can walk in the fullness of the gospel today. It's like, God, why would you do that? And the ultimate demonstration of agape was on the cross. Hey, I love you. I, I, I love you. I'm for you. The second thing is you were dead. You were. Well, here, here's the first point. We deserve God's wrath, but he gave us mercy. That's the first point. We, we, we deserved wrath. The second thing is we were dead. He made us alive. The third thing is we were in bondage to evil, but God raised us up and seated us with Christ. Think through that. We were in bondage, but he goes, I'm going to raise you up and seat you in Christ. That's why Paul would write, Christ in me and me in Christ is the hope of glory. I remember pondering that years ago going, what does that mean? He goes, positionally, let me tell you where you're seated today. Conditionally, this is where you're living. But your condition should be influenced by your position. You're seated with my son in the heavenlies. You, I've given him reign and rule above all things, and you're in Christ, which means you don't have to lay here and be stuck in defeat. I was writing this out, that God raised us up together in Christ. This means we have new life. Don't, 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 don't miss this. Don't miss this. New life means we don't have to act the way we used to act. You've been given new life. You don't have to act the way you used to. You don't have to behave the way you used to. We don't have to allow ourselves to be controlled by the old sins that we used to live in. Don't have to. That was one of the most freeing things for me, Spencer. You don't have to live that way anymore. I don't have to. Uh, if you do, it's, it's going to be a choice. We have a new life. We have a new start. We have a brand new beginning. And I was pondering this, and I think so many of us do. I've heard people say, well, I'll tell you what, man, if I could go back and do it over, all over again, I'd do it the same way. You are a fool. You are a fool. Because I can promise you people that have come into the grip of God's grace 
I'm okay with you saying God has used everything I've been through to make me who I am today. But man, I wish I could go back and change some things. I wish I could go back and make some of those things right that I did wrong, that violated other people and hurt other people in the process. I wish I could. But the emphasis he's making here, because of Christ and because of God's love and mercy and because of what God has done, you don't have to live enslaved to that any longer. And I think a lot of people that go to recovery, Butch, they come in there and they think, well, this is just the way I am. I'm stuck. This is my assignment for life. But Brandy, that's not the way it is. You can live a new identity as a new creation, as a child of God, and you can walk in freedom. And that was such a transforming thought. Hey, the old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. Tim, I'm not trying to make you a better version of what you used to be. I'm going to make you a new version of what you've never been. And I think a lot of people that flirt with the things of the faith, they get around the culture and they try to be a better version of what they used to be instead of Paul would say this in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless, it's not I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. He was not trying to be a better version of the Pharisee. He was becoming a new version of a child of the king that he had never been. And today, I am a new version of what I've never been. And I'm going to extend grace to you that God is working in your life today, that today you are a new version of what you've never been. I'm not going to hold you hostage that you're just a, a little bit better than you used to be. I, I'm going to extend grace and mercy and say, Hazel, you are a new version today of what you've never been. How would, how would life go? Jay, if we did that with people, hey, you're a new version today of what you've never been because God is at work both to will and to act, and God is bringing about growth and maturation. And then he says this, he has seated us with Christ in the heavenlies. Ponder this. You go, why did God save us? He says, so that in the ages to come, in ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward those who believe in Christ. Why, why did he do it? Because in the future, he wants to show, look at that trophy of grace right there. Look at that trophy of grace right there. Look, look at that trophy of grace right there. Oh, Tim Pennick is a trophy of grace. Oh, Kim Thorne is a trophy of of grace. Stephen Carroll, they're trophies of my grace. And so many people are stuck right now trying to figure out what, what does the future look like? And I remember growing up in Noonan and we got the paper once a week and it was like, hey man, did you read uh, the horoscope astrology page this week? Are you a Leo or are you Sagittarius? What are you? And as a lost pagan, I would read that stuff going, is there any truth to that? God holds the future. God is sovereign. And he is doing a work in you because of his grace and mercy and love 
to present you to the world as a trophy of grace to show people, look at how good their God is. Kenny, if we got that, we, Tommy, if we walk through today and go, I am a trophy of grace, perfectly placed in the body, and God is wanting to show me off for future generations to look at and go, what happened to him? That, that cash dude from Noonan, what happened to him? How did that family genealogy shift because that one got under the blood. I bombarded him with mercy and love, and he started walking in my grace, and he realized I was good, and I was able to put him on display saying, all right, there's a trophy of grace. I've rescued that one. So I would encourage you with this in closing. Nothing can separate you from God. Romans 8 says, what shall separate us from the love of God? He would even say in the gospel, do you realize that no one can snatch you out of my hand? He would say in John 10, do you realize that I will lose none of my sheep? Nothing. Nobody. No person no event, no circumstance can take me out of his hand. Secure. When Christ died, every person that becomes a believer in Christ died. That's the reason we say in baptism, buried with Christ, dying to the old self, raised to walk in a newness of life. When Jesus got a new life, Therefore, God exalted him and gave him a name that's above all names, that at the name of Jesus, when Jesus got a new name, I got a new name. When Jesus got a new position, I got a new position. I'm royalty, I'm a child of the only true God. When Jesus got raised up out of the death pit, I got raised up. I want you to think about the power of what Paul is presenting here to the believers in Ephesus. Hey, you remember when you were dead? He gave you life. You thought life was lived out there in the world, feeding the flesh. Didn't happen. We were destined for hell. God seated us in heaven. We were poor and miserable, but God gave us riches and honor. That's who we were. We were helpless. God did it. And I would beg you, as you consider just the power of the gospel, it doesn't matter. Listen, listen. Listen. Share this with your friends. It doesn't matter what you've done and where you've been. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. God has made his eternal love known to you by sending his only begotten son to die for all your sin, past, present, and future. God has done all that is needed, and he's calling us to respond to receive it. For by grace you've been saved through faith. I have to take that step of faith and receive it. It's not of your own. You can't do it. 
God took the initiative. God offered it. Would you walk in the fullness of my glory, Christ says. Come, let's share life together. And I'll never leave you, and I'm not going to forsake you. And it's to your advantage. I'm going to pour out the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to be in you. And I want to lead you today. So I would encourage you, get familiar with mercy, love, and grace. And remember, hey, remember where you used to be when you were dead, and you were an object of wrath, and you were living under the evil influence? Praise God. As we walk through these next few days of this Labor Day weekend, I want you to press into the Lord, and I want you to give thanks. And I want you to believe that he's enough for you, and you don't have to stay stuck. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, we hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we want to see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. And we pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.